Hi friends, this is going to be the final episode of Political Pruitt, the podcast, before we head to the polls. Now, it has been an incredible journey. We didn't expect how far and wide this podcast was going to reach, uh, and it's been just mind-blowing. Lah. I've been really grateful for all your support, and I'm also very grateful to the team that has been working tirelessly behind this show. So please allow me to just give a shout-out to the following people. Afika, Iyang, Mago, Zulria, Ashi, Aureli, Akmal, Clemis, Adish, Pram, and Brendan. Now, they are the ones who have been working so, so hard behind the scenes. So thank you to the team behind PPTP. Now, in today's episode, we have another expert joining us, none other than Eugene Tan, Associate Professor of Law at SMU. He's also a former nominated member of Parliament and has been lending his valuable insights to the political scene in Singapore to various media since. Now, we actually also used a few clips of him in the trailers for the past few episodes, so you'll find him familiar. Now, give us a follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us if you're on YouTube. And now, the last episode before we go to vote. Hi, Eugene. Welcome to Political Pruitt, the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. This is so interesting for me to be like sitting opposite you because I feel like over the many, many years of watching all these like political happenings on the news, <laughs> I've always been like, you were always on the panels. And for you to come here, I'm like really honored and appreciative of you coming down. It's also a privilege for me to be here. Slay. Okay, so let's, let's just go down right to it, right? So in few hours maybe uh, a lot of us will be going down to the voting booths to actually place our votes um so a lot has happened since we also uh interviewed the the candidates you know we, we launched this series really before nomination day and so much has happened um personally for you like how have you been feeling about everything that's been going down i think you're right to say that so much has happened um i think we a lot of us expected a, a fairly um, dry sort of campaign, you know, because you know you have uh, candidates who are aspiring to be president, you know, and so um, the expectation is that you know they would campaign uh, in a manner that's in keeping with the dignity and the decorum of uh, the office of the head of state. Um, but of course, you know, over the weekend, uh, last weekend, you know, things took off, uh, you know, with um, Dr. Tan Ching Bok, uh, you know, coming out. Uh, openly to endorse uh, Mr. Tan Kin Lian. Uh, and so that, that in a way, has energized at one level, but it has also politicized, in my view, uh, the presidential election. Um, so, I, so I think it's, it's, in many respects, the campaign so far has engaged voters, right? Uh, because I look at the three candidates before us uh, you know, as providing voters with ample choices, uh, it's really now a question of um, you know who um, you know each of us feels you know would be most suited you know to be our president. Right. So I think it's shaping up very nicely, and and it's not over yet. You know, so with with the final day of campaigning, one can imagine that uh, it's going to be a a hard push, you know, to the to the finish line. Definitely. Uh, so each one of their campaigns have been rooted uh, in terms of like their slogan. So Mr. Thaman's is respect for all. Uh, Mr. Ungkok Song's is united for our future. <laughs> Mr. Tan Kilian's is bring back trust, give us hope. Um, could you help us summarize what have they really been doing throughout their campaign and how they've been uh, communicating with their audiences in terms of like their message? I think at the start of the campaign, we couldn't tell in many respects, um, you know, how the slogans would play out, but I think when you when you look at the campaign so far, right, and, and we are in, in in a way in the final phase, uh, the slogans in a way have, in many respects, reflected the way that they've campaigned. So if if you look at uh, Mr. Tan Kin Lian, uh, you know, I think his was perhaps the most uh, political, right, in 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 the sense that um, campaigning on on a platform that. Uh, we need to bring back trust. Uh, voters need to have hope. Uh, and I'm not sure any one of us could have foreseen, um, you know, that uh, politicians will get involved in, in Dr. Tan's uh, campaign, right? So he has obviously spoken about how he would be the people's voice, you know, in terms of raising concerns that are top of the mind uh, for many Singaporeans, right? Whether it's cost of living, housing, uh, job security and all, um, and his approach obviously, you know, has I think brought a lot of attention, you know, as to what the president can and what the president cannot do. Right, so there's a lot of 
potential in the office, but I would argue that there are also limits, limits which are prescribed you know, in the constitution. Uh, if we go on to, to Mr. Ng Kok Song, um, you know, I think he has leverage on his position as being the only candidate with no political party uh, affiliation. Uh, and so when he, when he talks about you know, uniting, uh, I think that's a message you know, that could uh, very much resonate with, with a segment of, of voters. Um, you know, and when I say segment, I don't at all mean that it's a small group, right? you know, but uh, the idea that uh, as someone with no affiliation to any political party, uh, it puts him in a much better position you know, to play the role uh, as a unifier. And, and of course, you know, the presidency uh, is expected to play that role. Um, you know, it is supposed to be above the political fray. Uh, and so people will be able to, to, to unite around this particular leader you know, without concerns about uh, political affiliations, race, language, or religion. Um, and then you have uh, you know, Mr. Tharman. Um, you know, respect for all. Uh, I think that slogan uh, in many ways point to how he seeks to be inclusive uh, you know, if he were to be elected president. But more than that, I think it has, it has also been reflected in the way uh, that he has campaigned, right? He has consciously avoided uh, commenting, you know, on what his uh, fellow candidates may have said about him, about the presidency. You know, he has been very laser-like in his focus on focusing on his track record, um, you know, his, his the qualities, the character, the values, um, you know, that, he brings, uh, you know, to the presidency. Um, so, so you see that range of different styles of campaigning, uh, different sort of visions, some of them competing, some of them conflicting uh, visions of the presidency. Um, so I, I think in many respects, you know, the, the, this election has uh, captivated Singaporeans, you know, even though it is not a general election without the election rallies, you know, without the door-to-door -door visits and all. Yeah, I think uh, it really has been a lightning in a bottle for, for the team here at Political Prude as well. Uh, we didn't expect the, the reception for this show to really just go so as huge as it, it went. Uh, it is number one on Spotify now, which is crazy for us. I think the entire team was screaming when we first found out. Excellent. And it's still number one, which is, which is <laughs> insane. Um, but I want to talk to you about the campaign symbols now. Because uh, as much as I, I, I told everyone that the team um, has been preparing for this podcast uh, for literally weeks on hand, you know, we're just like doing our research, trying to see what kind of questions we should ask the candidates and whatnot. Uh, but myself and the team, it was a blind spot for us. Because I, I guess because we are first-time voters, we didn't really um, remember that there will be symbols attached to uh, the, the candidates' names. Uh, it became kind of like a frustration point for me because I wish I asked them, you know, like what were, they, what were their thought processes behind the candidate symbols. But uh, since the episodes have been released, um, the, of, of course, by now, the um, symbols have already been announced. So Mr. Thaman's one is the pineapple, which I think was uh, generated a lot of chatter online. Uh, Mr. Tan Kin Lian's is four figures um, reaching out towards a flower. And Mr. Ng Kok Song's is a, a hand, a palm, um, with a heart shape in the middle of it. So... Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think that these symbols are, uh, are an extension of their campaign slogans or their, their campaign key messages? Uh, to some extent. Um, I, I recall that when uh, Mr. Tarman's symbol was unveiled, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we were all wondering you know, why, why the pineapple. So it, it, it's very much a counterintuitive choice. But I think looking at how it generated discussion, um, you know, getting people to go into his, his various social media platforms, websites, you know, to find out, you know, what does the pineapple mean? Uh, if you ask me, I think his symbol has, in a way, resonated, right? Because mm -hmm. it's instantly recognizable, right? So he has gone on a campaign trail. You know, he could bring along, you know, a pineapple. Yes. Right? He could give it away. Um, but I think at another level, uh, you know, Mr. Tharman was certainly trying to connect with the ethnic Chinese community, in my view, mm. um, you know, much as he say that you know the pineapple is something that all the different races could could uh, easily identify with, but I think you know it bears extra significance uh, for the Chinese community. Yes. Right? You know, whether uh, you know you are starting a business, you know, uh, entering uh, your new home and all, uh, and of course you know online or you know yes. which you all will say what you know, and, <laughs> uh, you know, so the idea of good fortune and, and prosperity. Um, 
much as you know symbols are less relevant today, um, you know simply because symbols are really from a bygone era, right? Mm. If you think about many years ago when people were were not so when literacy level was much lower um, and people didn't really understand the Roman script, uh, there was a need for voters to connect, uh, you know, symbols with a candidate or, or a political party in the case of a general election. Uh, but it's good that the practice has continued. Uh, I think it, it helps to be inclusive. Um, but you can see the different approaches, right? So Mr. Ng and Mr. Tan, you know, have sought to be more evocative, um, mm -hmm. you know, using uh, for Mr. Ng, for example, a hand and a heart, uh, you know, essentially trying to convey, uh, you know, his whole idea of uniting, how we are all together, you know, we all operate, um, you know, if one finger hurts, um, you know, the, the palm hurts as a whole. Um, and, and of course, you know, Mr. Tan, you know, trying to bring in, you know, the different races, and of course, you know, reaching out for, you know, what appeared to be a, initially described as a Mandela and later a flower, you know, but his point about, you know, that they're all trying to strive, uh, you know, for a better uh, future. But of course, Mr. Tan's symbol changed. Uh, you know, if you look closely before uh, nomination day, you know, it, it was th the same four individuals but they were reaching out to five stars and a crescent moon, mm. uh, you know, and of course that's the national symbol uh, in in various as aspects. And I suspect, um, you know, that that particular the use of certain national symbols, you know, would obviously not be permitted. Right, right. Uh, but no, regardless, I I think in the end the symbols seek to convey a larger message of what they represent, what they mean, what they stand for, um, but. I would say that you know Mr. Tharman's is probably the most uh, effective, right? You know, instantly recognizable. You know, whereas you know a palm and and, and a heart, I think you know it, it is evocative, but you know you need to go through the whole process of trying to understand what is it about, and 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 that perhaps may take a, a, a bit more effort. Absolutely, um, you know, I thought that Mr. Tharman's symbol was instantly iconic. Uh, in, I mean, even on social media, like so many people started sharing the 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 icon of like the pineapple, right? Uh, I thought it was a brilliant move because suddenly it kind of showed a, a little cheeky side to him on social. Obviously, the pineapple means a lot to different people, uh, but for a uh, presidential candidate like Mr. Tamil, who's who's seen as kind of like serious, right? To have kind of a fun emoji, you know, it, uh, the pineapple is an emoji. Um, it really made us feel like, okay, maybe he, he has a sense of humor, you know. Uh, and then like many, many hours later, uh, he went on Facebook to to explain, you know, the, the, the symbol. And I wish, okay, I understand. I understand why he did it because, I mean, because he is Mr. Thaman, right? But um, I felt like at first, I, I, I did think that it was a 10 out of 10. But then after he explained it and gave it meaning, I was like... Eight out of ten. No, <laughs> because the, the the without explaining it, it was such a boss move. It was, I mean, as we we call it, big dick energy. You know, you just you just let it be. Um, but then, like after explaining, it, I, I get it, and it became a little bit more like expected of of him. So I don't know, but um, people did resonate with the the simple, and it did become this huge social media conversation. And um, it it allowed people to see him, I think, in a in a different light, in a more casual in a casual way, you know. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. There are so many connotations to the icon of a pineapple. Uh, I mean, it is extremely familiar with the team behind Political Prude because we just moved into this studio two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and then two days later we had to film Political Prude right here. Uh, and my team member Clemens was violently rolling a pineapple around the studio, so I think it worked. It was quite hot, right? Like a few, like a few weeks later, we had all the other candidates here. So um, I see, I see the connection to the Chinese community, and you know, Mr. Taman is an Indian candidate. Uh, I I do think it um, helps him, you know, resonate a little bit more with the Chinese community, yeah. especially it, the older ones. He is ones. the only non-Chinese on yeah. the ballot sheet, so I think there there is a need for him to to say, you know, I I do know, I do recognize the importance of you know this particular voting group. Yeah, but that's why it's a 10 out of 10. Genius. So um, I want to move on to the CNA forum, right? So everybody was tuned in to the CNA forum yesterday. Uh, uh, 
where we saw all three candidates sit down together for the first time uh, because Mr. Tan did turn down a Straits Times uh, interview. Uh, so it was interesting. I think uh, uh, so many people were posting it on, again, Instagram stories mm-hmm. and sharing their opinions. My question is, what, what were some of the key takeaways if, let's say, someone didn't actually watch the CNA forum? I think the key takeaways would be, one, you know, you should go and watch it. Uh, you know, you know <laughs> minimally just to get a sense of... Um, who they are, you know, how they express uh, their views, what are some of the motivations, uh, you know, behind their their run for the presidency, and and how they might play the part of of president. Um, but I think there were also serious messages that they were trying to to get across, um, you know, and and time doesn't allow us to go into you know the the, the different messaging. Um, but again, they they played to you know what they would think would be their strongest point, right? So so again, Mr. Ng, for example, reiterated, um, you know, now it's become even clearer, right? You know, so he says, I'm truly, you know, the only candidate, you know, who is non-partisan, no political party um, connection. But you you could also see, you know, from the forum, um, you know, Mr. Ng trying to 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 put across uh, you know the fact that you know he is equal to the task uh, you know of being president based on his long career uh, in GIC and of course you know what what really sort of uh, uh, captivated me was you know this point about duty um, you know and and I think it'd be good you know if in future presidential elections you know we have qualified people you know who who will have the courage to say. You know, if I have something to contribute, you know, that you would step forward. Um, if we look at, uh, you know, Mr. Tan Kin Lian, I mean, you know, he, not as eloquent as, um, you know, the other two uh, candidates, um, but he was very focused on on emphasizing, you know, that he would be the people's voice, um, you know, uh, raising issues, you know, to the president, uh, to the prime minister in many ways, you know, trying to demonstrate that, uh, you know, you are not just going to get someone who is going to sit in Istana, um, you know, but I'm going to be a champion uh, for you. Uh, and, and of course, you know, he went into air, areas which uh, strictly are not within the president's powers or prerogatives. Uh, and of course, that earned him, um, you know, a clarification from uh, from the host, uh, you know, Otelli Edwards, um, you know, that this yeah. is not what the president can do. Um, but some may take it that, you know, that's good. You know, we would want someone who, you know, who could be another pressure point, if I can put it that way, uh, vis-a-vis the government. Um, in terms of, for me, Mr. Taman had the most substantive answers, right? And, and I think it shouldn't surprise us, right? It, because it reflects the breadth and depth of his experience, um, you know, not just in, in Singapore government, right? But on having served in many... Uh, international councils on a variety of issues from human development, uh, you know, to finance, to economics, um, and the and the environment as well. Uh, so, so I think in the end, I'm not sure the forum is going, really going to change people's minds, particularly for voters who who have decided. But I think where it would make a difference would be for undecided voters, right? Because this is this only occasion that you will see all three candidates in the same room, fielding the same questions, and looking at how, you know, they present themselves, how they seek to persuade people, right? So ultimately, right, you know, you know, the medium of TV um, can, can be decisive, you know, because if you have nothing else to go by, right, it's a question of, you know, which candidate resonated the most with me? Mm. Right, in terms of how I responded to, to each of them. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's useful. Some would have preferred a debate style, um, but I think you know, that, that could lead us into um, you know, arguments that may lead nowhere right. um, you know, in, in the forum. Right, right. So uh, social media has taken a huge role this uh, presidential elections. Oh, this is one example. True, very true. Uh, you know, they have interacted... Uh, on in various capacities with a lot of like social media creators, influencers, going on podcasts. My question for you is like, uh, is this something new from 
uh, the previous presidential election? Well, I would say social media has has been the key messenger, mm. uh, you know, in this particular presidential election. I mean, there were, there was social media, right? But but in 2011, 12 years ago, you know, it seems like a long time, and 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 there have been many other platforms, you know, and particularly podcasts. Um, you know, so you have long form, short form. You know, you want people who just have only time to to look at a photo, a picture. Instagram is there for you, right? You know, you want a, a bit more. You know, there's X. Uh, you know, you want even more. There's Facebook. You know, so that, that there is that that variety. But what it all signals really is, you know, given the very sh- short campaign period, uh, it is impossible for a presidential candidate to knock on a million doors. Right, a million households. Um, so social media gives them that opportunity. Um, you know, very often carefully created, um, putting a positive spin, uh, putting them in, in the best light possible um, to reach out to voters. Um, so twenty four seven, voters can find out about you know a particular candidate. Uh, you know, what are his views, and of course, in this particular presidential election, what has been also quite quite clear is that uh, the candidates sought to show the human side mm. right so pets got into the in, in, into the, the into the part of the whole campaigning you also have you know their spouses you know going on a campaign trail and also appearing on podcasts or or videos or whatever and, and I think in a way they were trying to convey you know that that we're just like you um, you know, we so we do empathize, we do understand the sort of challenges, um, you know, that, that you might you might face. But I think social media, you know, cannot replace uh, the in-person sort of campaigning, right? Uh, so in many ways, for candidates, life has become a lot tougher for them on the campaign trail, right? Because you need to walk the real ground, but they also need to walk the virtual ground, and and it's not just about you know. Putting up polls or, or or managing a website, you know, it means coming out to to do long form interviews, you know, for podcasts, making TikTok videos. I mean, it's I don't think you know we have seen the the use of so many different forms of media in a very intensive way uh, in in a presidential election. So I would say that you know social media is important, but I don't think. You know, it allows for that that sense of authenticity. You know that a candidate can put across, um, you know, to a voter. I think that only comes about when the candidates interact on the ground. Uh, you know, with the voters. I think social media. You know, people might share. You know, a post, a, a podcast that they find very interesting. But I'm not sure in the end. You know that that unlike. Uh, in-person campaigning, you know that that if you sufficiently persuaded somebody, you know that 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 person will in turn encourage others to say, well, you know, you should want, you may want to look at this particular candidate, uh, you know, because when I interacted with him, you know, this is what happened and all. So I think in terms of you know having that knock-on effect, uh, real knock-on effect, I think in-person campaigning will w- play will play a bigger part. But long and short of it is that social media campaigning is here to stay, um, you know, and and one can imagine, um, you know, that it will play a bigger part in future elections, um, and and social media there's this, in a way, fixation with young people, um, you know. But I think they also forget that, you know, older people, young seniors like me, you know, we too also do access social media. Mm. So two things I want to say to that. So uh, the first part is the the value of in-person uh, campaigning. So a lot of uh, people have said that, you know, they've listened to the Political Prude podcast and they feel like they really did connect uh, with the candidates and they feel like they were part of the conversation a little bit, which is interesting. Um, and of course, you know, I acknowledge and, under, and, and recognize the privilege of having an hour which, with each one of these candidates, uh, which is a lot of time to get to know them, right? Um, however, uh, you're right, absolutely right in a sense that uh, I actually got to attend two separate um, in-person sessions 
following the podcast, uh, whereby I got to just observe Mr. Thaman as well as Mr. Ng uh, in in-person settings. Well, one was a dialogue session with young uh, people, and another one was uh, a tea session with uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, so I was just listening to, I mean, I felt like I had my time with them, so I didn't want to like hawk the mic and ask more questions. So I was like, Paise, right? So I just sat back and listened. Uh, but as I as I got to hear more from them and I got to see them um, outside of a, a media setting, right? Um, I felt like I actually understood them even more or understood their personalities, the way they think even more. So I do think that there is value in person, right? So that that's one. Oh, speaking of the digital space, uh, Mr. Ng Kok Song made a very bold statement this election. I, th- I think it's unprecedented, right? Where he says, I'm not going to print anything. I'm not going to use posters. Uh, I'm going to go full digital. Um, a lot of mixed responses online. Some people thought that, you know, it's a missed opportunity. Some people said, hey, it's genius because uh, it gives him it gives him visibility because now headlines are going to say, oh, you know, like this, uh, Mr. Ng is doing this. And it gives him, again, like, you know, presence in front of people's eyeballs and that's everything. So wh- what are your opinions on this? I mean, one, one observation, you know, that some people have made is that um, are there only two candidates in this uh, presidential election, right? Because when they go on the streets, you know, and, and they see it, um, you know, on the lampposts and all, uh, two posters um, only, mm. right? And, and you know, the flyers, again, right, you know, they, they, in, in some of the high footfall areas, you know, people may get flyers from uh, Mr. Tharman's uh, uh, team as well as uh, Mr. Th- Mr. Tan Kin Lian's team. Uh, and so without that sort of physical publicity material, uh, I think something is missing, right? I, mm. I don't think we have completely gone digital, right? It is certainly possible that with each election, you know, the use of banners, posters and all might become less and less common. Um, but I think it's still something which which uh, voters like to be able to see. But more than that, you know, it, it, it leaves an imprint on people's minds, you know, that these are the candidates, right? So, so there is that visibility, um, you know, we cannot assume that everybody goes on social media, right? Mm-hmm. And, and some people might just be more comfortable about, you know, seeing who, um, you know, it, is who are on the posters and all. And if you're not there, um, you know, then I'm not sure whether, uh, you know, that that brand, that face, um, you know, will resonate, um, you know, with voters. Um, but I'm sure Mr. Uh, thought about it very carefully. Um, and, you know, with a very limited budget, right, and because there are camp- campaign financing rules as well, uh, I think he decided social media, you know, would be the force multiplier that perhaps, you know, would be more effective for him. I mean, compared with Mr. Tharman and Mr. Tan, uh, no, no one knew Mr. Ngkok Song before the presidential election, right? So for him, uh, as the least known candidate, uh, I think he had to use other means. But I still do think that maybe he could have put some money aside for, um, you know, the the posters and all, um, you know, but uh, again, it's very hard to tell in the end, you know, whether that would have any impact, you know, but something just seems missing, you know, you know, you expect to see three uh, gentlemen on our lampposts and all, but there are only two. Right, right, right. Do you think uh, it sets a precedent for, for other candidates to follow in the future? Well, I, I think it gives food for thought, right, to can, future candidates, you know, whether they want to, uh, whether are they going to continue with traditional uh, and social media uh, advertising or do they just keep to social media, right? But I think it's quite clear, right? You know, in the end, um, you know, the balance, each can each candidate, whether in a general or presidential election, with to decide what, what, what balance works for them. I think you need both modes of advertising in, in my view. You know, just to have that that presence, that visibility, that profile. Got it. Um, so my second point is when it comes to social media, I want to raise up the curtains a little bit on this and and talk about behind the scenes, right? So um, the truth is this is none of the candidates, uh, maybe except Mr. Duncan Lian, actually run their own social media pages. Lah. I mean it's quite obvious to me um, that they have a team behind them, you Definitely. know. Or, Perhaps the, the, the difference lies in the degree in which they approve the posts or captions. I mean, some of them write the captions or whatnot, but it's very clear that they have social media teams now. Um, so for me, it's like, 
you know, it changes the game entirely because now um, you have to choose the right people who understand the different platforms uh, un- under the social media sphere uh, to then communicate your messages correctly. Um, and it, and it's not just like, oh, you know, I have a so- one social media manager and, they, and I, they can like be good at everything. It's not because to communicate on TikTok, to communicate on Instagram mm-hmm. and within Instagram, Instagram stories, Instagram reels, Instagram uh posts it's all very different right and how to communicate on facebook how to communicate on whatsapp it's entirely different um and uh i i will share this with with the listeners here is that uh i actually got to witness firsthand a lot of their social media teams Mm. um and i could identify who were the sharp ones because they were asking specific types of questions um they were preparing certain types of content for their social media pages um and and you know what i learned from that experience was that your social media campaign is as strong as the team that you choose, you know. So uh, I think this will really impact future elections, whether it's presidential or general elections. And I and I, I do see uh, more importance being placed on curating this team on social media. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think definitely, right? I think in the end, we are looking at how can we multiply that message and, and not just sending out more uh, social media posts or whatever, but how do we ensure, how do candidates ensure you know, that that the message resonates, um, you know, that they will keep coming back for more, that that it also has that persuasive effect. Um, but I think one thing about social media is that, you know, compared with in-person campaigning is, you know, this whole thing of of authenticity. Right? Mm. I, I think social media can come close, right? but there's nothing like a firm handshake, okay. uh, you know, a, a pat on the back of, of, of uh, you know, a, a voter, or sharing a joke in person and all, uh, I think that's something which uh, you know can still play a very big part, right? Because you are in the glare of everyone around. People observe the candidates. People see how they how they relate, how they how they react, um, and I think that's something which will still continue to you know to be able to build that sort of bond, um, you know, between the candidate you know and the voters. Absolutely. vote counts but you know what else counts a follow on spotify and apple Podcasts, a five star rating a subscribe on youtube and a thumbs up you count you matter i love you now back to the episode okay so um speaking of unprecedented uh mr tan kin lian also i think did something that's um unexpected so he actually turned down an interview with the Straits Times you know where, where they wanted to do a, a video feature on all three candidates at the same time uh, I think a lot of the people in the media industry were a little bit like taken aback by by that because obviously as a candidate you want to be as visible as possible his reason uh, I believe uh, was that he felt like uh, Straits Times was running a smear campaign against him um, what do you think of this move like do you think that this was a good move on his end I I don't think it it was a good move, right? Because when I look at the profiles that were done, uh, I think it started with Mr. George Go, right? And, and then you had, uh, 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 followed by Mr. Tharman and Mr. Ngok Song, maybe not in that order. But I found the write-ups and, and the videos done by uh, the Straits Times team, you know, to be positive, right? It, it sort of focused on on the quality, the positive qualities, the the, the good points, um, you know that each candidate wanted to put out, um, you know, to 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 readers, um, you know, of the Straits Times. Um, so I thought it was a missed opportunity, right? I, I mean, but of course, you know, for for Mr. Tan, I suppose you know that was him again making a point, you know, that that perhaps you shouldn't trust mainstream media, right? You know, whatever you read there, you know, about me, which is negative, you know. Um, is is all wrong, inaccurate, right? So, so because he has, he has persisted in this narrative, you know that that whatever controversy that he's mired in, you know whether it's over the pretty girls' posts or whatnot, it all is all a smear campaign, um, you know, either by mainstream media or by the other uh, presidential candidates, um, you know. So, I think it is a missed opportunity, right? Because. I would say that you know the media in general, whether you are mainstream or social media, um, you know that if you want to be taken seriously, uh, you know you need to present a balanced 
reporting, you know, of the presidential uh, candidates. Mm. Um, I thought that that was what happened, you know, with the Straits Times series, you know. So I thought it was again, it's a missed opportunity, right, to 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 have that additional reach um, because you want to, you know, reach out also, you know, to to people who are straight sign voters and they are all along the political spectrum mm. um, you know so for me I think it was a missed opportunity right so independence has been the the buzzword of this election you know uh, it has really dominated the, the the conversation surrounding the presidential election of this year um, all three of them have really tried to establish their independence in their own way um, like why do you think this has emerged as a key issue this election yeah I think there's a very interesting point um, you know it, it wasn't really a, a a big issue if I recall correctly in the 2011 uh, presidential election right which was the last contested election. Um, but I think this time round, you know, the the it's perhaps a confluence of developments, right? So you have, um, you know, uh, Mr. Tharman, you know, a, a very well regarded uh, former PAP minister, you know, in politics for more than twenty years, you know, uh, under the the ruling People's Action Party, coming out and and then you know, when he announced his candidacy, right? Then I think that put pressure on the on, on the other hopefuls. How are they going to present themselves as being quite different from Mr. Tharman, right? And 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 I suppose you know there was also a recognition that if we are looking at at a president who who is going to exercise custodial powers, um, how do you ensure you know that the person would be able to will go about his duties without fear or favor? Um, so I think it was this. This confluence, right, of the other candidates wanting to differentiate themselves from Mr. Tharman, uh, and also trying to, in a way, unpick what they would regard as Mr. Tharman's weak point. Um, you know that he may not be able to do his duties without fear or favor. Um, but but I also get also take the view that I think independence perhaps. We may have fixated so much, right? Um, uh, you know, because I think we we can all certainly agree, you know, that past labels or past affiliations are probably not need not be determinative, right? And I think it boils down eventually, right, to the character, um, and by character I mean you know whether the the the, the president has the backbone, right, to stand up against the government of the day when there is a need uh, you know for him to do so so but the way independence has been played out in so far in the presidential election it, it is seen as though well with independence you know i can do this vis-a-vis the government you know i can can raise your concerns i can i can try to you know reduce ns or whatever um, but independence is not as a means to being an alternative center of power because Ours still remains a parliamentary system of government. So I think going forward, right, we'll certainly see independence featuring in future presidential um, elections. Um, you know, but I I certainly take the view that independence is important, right? But we must be careful how we go about trying to determine you know whether someone is going to be independent or not because for example right you can have a candidate who is who is not from comes without any political affiliation uh, but if the president then goes about trying to pursue his or her own agenda or seeks to promote his or her family interests then that president is not independent right because he or she is beholden to a certain uh, agenda and all um, and so you know I think in, in, in that sense, you know, Mr. Tan, um, you know, claiming to be, you know, to be truly independent, I think in, in many ways, you know, it has undercut, uh, or rather the claim to be truly independent has been severely undercut, you know, with opposition politicians, active opposition politicians uh, campaigning, endorsing him and all. Um, so I... I'm a bit concerned about, you know, the, the elections, if we were to boil down about, you know, to this question of independence, 
particularly when independence is seen as whether you have past affiliations to the ruling party in, in, in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we need to go for a more expansive understanding, a more nuanced understanding of what it, what it means you know, to be independent, to be able to exercise the president's custodial powers independently. Got it. Um, could you maybe very quickly recap what are each of the arguments for, for, for being, quote-unquote, independent? Oh, yeah. I, I think w- when we look at uh, Mr. Tharman, right, you know, he cannot run away from the fact that, you know, he was a PAP uh, member, you know, for more than 20 years. And so, you know, he has sought to, to pitch his independence, you know, by urging voters to look at his track record, um, you know, pointing out to his student activist days, pointing out to how even within government, uh, you know, he has sought to, to push the envelope, uh, you know, in terms of uh, policies that he had a hand in. For example, when as finance minister, I think one could trace, you know, that push towards uh, the PAP government moving to left of centre, right? So for him, it's look at my track record. Look at, look at the fact that, you know, um, I have been independent-minded, you know, even though I've been part of the government um, you know so he so he goes by the you know he says you know, I'm an open book you know you you can see you know what what you see is what you get you know and, and I thought he had this fairly memorable phrases um, for for Mr. Tan Kin Lian right you know he's saying well look I, I don't have any political uh, affiliation right you know although he forgets that you know he was a member of the ruling party uh, and he was the CEO of of uh, a cooperative, you know, that was part of the NTUC umbrella, right? And and the National Trades Union Congress has a symbiotic relationship, you know, with the PAP. Um, but he is trying to, in a way, put himself as the you know the the, the, the political opposite of Mr. Tharman, right? I'm not a PAP member, um, you know, I have no political affiliation, you know, so pass. A affiliation, you know, so I'm, I'm independent. And this is where, you know, Mr. Ng Kok Song found that niche position, right, where, where he says, look, compared to the two men, I have no political affiliation at all ever, right? But yes, he, he, he rightfully acknowledges that he was part of the establishment, right, by virtue of his career in the public service and then in GIC. But I think he also tried to leverage on that, you know, to say that, look, you know, these experiences give me the ability, you know, to be someone, to be a custodian of our national reserves. Um, so I think in the end, I don't think the elections will boil down on independence because I think ultimately, uh, you know, there are things going for and against, you know, each candidate's claim, um, you know, to be, uh, to be independent. I, I, I suspect the typical voter will look at the whole package. Uh, and I think it would be too, in my view, my personal view, it would be too narrow to just focus on this question of independence based on past affiliations. Mm, thanks for sharing. Uh, so over the weekend, I think something massive uh, at least in my opinion, it was massive, uh, took place. Uh, so for those of you who might not be aware, uh, former presidential election candidate Dr. Tan Ching Bok actually endorsed uh, Mr. Tan Kim Lian uh, this weekend. And uh, he is, of course, the chairman of the uh, opposition uh, Progress Singapore Party, which is PSP. Um, and he said that he was uh, endorsing Mr. Tan in his personal capacity. This means that Dr. Tan uh, and also Mr. Tan Ji Se are now on the side of Mr. Tan Kin Lian. And it's obviously quite interesting to see because we see uh, they were all three former candidates of the 2011 presidential elections, uh, which you know we refer to as the Battle of the Tans. Uh, and I see a lot of memes, you know, when the three of them started uh, shaking hands and people calling it the Triton, the Triton. <laughs> so I thought it was pretty... Um, Funny to, to to consume on social media, but uh, also um, I, I thought it was a very bold move. And also like I posted on my Instagram stories, I was like, hey guys, I think I think this is huge, you know, uh, because um, we've never seen anything like this before. So um, Mr. Ng Kok Sang then came forward to say that he thinks that this move of all the opposition party candidates coming together, uh, ganging up, quote unquote, mm-hmm. uh, was a very unhealthy and a worrisome development. And he says that they are dragging the presidential elections into gutter politics. Um, he's quite. He gave very sharp words. You know, he said, uh, "I think it's quite shameful." And he says that you know it's a dishonor to the presidency. So, what do you think about everything that went down? 
Um, I think Mr. Ngok Song's reaction is understandable, um, you know, because he stands to lose the most mm. with uh, Dr. Tan Ching Bok, you know, a well-regarded opposition figure uh, openly endorsing uh, Mr. Tan Kin Lian. Because when you look at Mr. Ng, right, who has sought to put himself as, you know, someone who has no past political affiliation, one would say that, you know, they might put him in the same camp as Mr. Mr. Tan Kin Lian, right? That means not from the PAP, in, in other words, to put it more somewhat simplistically. Um, and so with Dr. Tan endorsing uh, Mr. Tan Kin Lian, um, Mr. Ng is rightfully concerned, you know, that that people who are going to to support a, a candidate with no PAP affiliation uh, will likely or could then now lean more towards uh, Mr. Tan, right? And even if let's say people were to put Mr. Ng, you know, as being part of the establishment, that means in the same camp as Mr. Tharman, he also stands to lose, right? Because people who are keen to, all things being equal, to support someone from the establishment will say, hey, maybe we shouldn't split our votes, you know? So let's let's determine between Mr. Tharman and Mr. Ng who is the stronger candidate, you know, and pull up, put our votes behind that, that one candidate rather than splitting between the two. So he stands to, to, to lose the most. But, but I think beyond this, strategic calculation or whether you know someone stands to gain or lose I think Mr. Ng made a valid point right because it has now become politicized politicized in the sense that look Dr. Tan Mr. Tan, Tan Cheng Bok Mr. Tan Ji Se and all the other opposition figures that are on Mr. Tan's uh, team right are now they are effectively saying you know be that figure uh, you know be the president you know who will pose um, you know the government of the day. I think that's that's not that's not what the presidential election is all about. That is certainly not what the president's office um, is all about, right? And of course, when you bring in politicians uh, backing one candidate over uh, over the others, uh, you know it raises questions about the independence of that particular candidate who has been endorsed by a particular group of politicians, right? Because if he wins. Does it mean that that the president is going to be beholden, um, you know, to this particular group of of politicians, you know, who have helped him win, uh, you know, the 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 presidential contest, um, and it raises serious questions about whether that president can be a unifying figure, right? Because he has he he would have clearly stamped himself, uh, you know, as a opposition type president. Uh, you know, who will, who will oppose, uh, you know, the government of the day. Um, and I think that that totally up, you know, turns the presidency, you know, on its head. Uh, and I don't think that is what, uh, you know, it, it, it should be. And, and to me, it makes no difference, um, you know, for Dr. Tan to say that he is uh, endorsing him in, in, on a personal, in a personal capacity. Right, because he is synonymous, you know, with the opposition, he is the leader of, you know, uh, perhaps, you know, uh, the leader of, you know, one of two opposition parties who have seats in parliament. Um, so, in the same way, right, if the prime minister were to endorse, uh, you know, Mr. Taman, let's say for example, uh, no one is going to buy it if the prime minister says that, you know, I'm endorsing. You know this candidate, Mr. Tharman. You know, in my personal capacity. Uh, so I think you know one could look at it as, as a shot in the arm for Mr. Tan's campaign, you know, which has been flagging, mired in controversy, right? Uh, but on the other hand, you know, I think it it would it would do a disservice, you know, to the office of the president. Mm. So just to play devil's advocate, right? Because Mr. Tharman is from the, was from the PAP just not too long ago. You know, do you think that the politicization of this election was almost inevitable. Some may even say that like, oh, you know, it was politicized from the start just because he was from the PAP. I think we should try to recognize that in, in our system, right, you, we shouldn't be surprised if we have 
in the past as well as in the future, right, that we have presidential candidates, you know, who who would be from the ruling party, who, who would be from the public service, uh, you know, who, who would be from the establishment, right? Mm. Tomasic, GIC, you know, or one of the uh, the fifth schedule entities, you know, in the constitution, uh, you know, uh, JTC, HDB and all. Um, and I think if we are to 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 say that you know these people will not be independent or or should not run or that they will or that they will never be exercised at powers without fear or favor i think we would then be excluding right a group of men and women you know who would otherwise you know be really good for singapore um, you know as our our head of state uh, so what the constitution provides you know is that a candidate must have resigned from any political party affiliation. Uh, and I think that's a minimum safeguard, right? So, so, so he or she has drawn the line and said, I'm no longer um, you know, a member of a political party. Um, ultimately, you know, whether voters are going to buy you know, into the, 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 the narrative that this person with a past political affiliation um, you know, will be able to do, do the job without fear or favour, I think it boils down to the character. It boils down to whether that that person has got the moral backbone, um, and whether that person recognizes, you know, that his office has sufficient constitutional safeguards to be able to to enable him, you know, to to act independently. Now, you know, I suppose in a one-party dominant system, you know, you know, you have a former PAP person against a non-PAP person, right? But in future, right, the government of day could be constituted by another political party. So are we going to say that, you know, past members of that political party should not be eligible or or, or, or will never be seen to be independent? Right. So again, I, I think I, I, I would say I agree with Mr. Tharman, you know, that we should avoid simplistic labels, right? Because we all have past affiliations. But does it mean that we are not able to rise above them. I think we, we often forget that when you're put in a role where you have to have the trust and confidence of Singaporeans, where the office is sufficiently ring-fenced in terms of safeguards you know, to enable you to act independently, you know, and the fact that you're, you, are, you will also take an oath of office, um, you know, and what you do you know, is in the public glare, you know, that, that we shouldn't have any real concern you know, that someone is not going to act uh, independently, or, or, or rather, to be more precise, to exclude somebody, right? Because he or she, you know, would have past affiliations with with you know the government of the day. Today it could be today is the PAP. Tomorrow it could be another party. You know, so so do we then exclude all of these people? I think you know we we, we have to be careful. Otherwise, you know, there's always a concern that there are not enough candidates. You know, so are we then really going to say that you know we we ought to exclude more people such that it becomes even harder? you know, to find suitable people, you know, to want to run to be president. Mm -hmm. Now, on the ground, uh, when Mr. Thaman first came forward to say that he was interested to run for president, uh, a lot of the sentiments was that he's a sure win, right? Or he, at least a strong contender. Um, do you still think that he's a clear frontrunner at this point of the election? I would still say that he is, um, you know, the, the frontrunner. Um, I think someone looking at the presidential forum yesterday on, on, on CNA right, would be able to, you know, to see in terms of the quality of the answers, in terms of how he engaged the way someone sees the world and all. I think objectively one could say that you know, Mr. Tharman uh, you know, was clearly uh, performed the best. Now, of course, people are not going to vote on the basis of one forum. Uh, but I think... Given and that's why Mr. Taman has emphasized a lot on his track record, right? Because he knows that his track record, in a way, would be hard to be matched by the other candidates. Um, but I think it's it's not just his track record, right? You know, but I think he has built up a reputation over his more than twenty years in politics, you know, as an independent-minded, um, you know, person, um, you know that. The association with the ruling party was very much about trying to change from within. Right? You, that if you want to 
see a better Singapore, you would disagree with policies that perhaps, you know, opposition could be one vehicle, but the other one could be, you know, the ruling party, right? So you try to change from, from within. Uh, and he reminded us about his student activist days, you know, and, and about how, uh, you know, his views on the Marxist conspiracy, you know, in, in the late 80s and all. Um, so I, I would think that, you know, when you're right to say that when, when he first said that he was going to run for president, I think that got many people excited, right? Because he is at least going by a survey a couple of years ago, right? The most popular PAP uh, politician, right? Someone has said, you know, that, or I have said that, you know, he's a, he's a prime minister that Singapore would never have. Mm. Um, so I think it, he's still the front runner, right? But, and, 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 but of course, you know, with, with Dr. Tan weighing in, uh, you know, for Mr. Tan Kin Lian, uh, and the possibility, you know, that people who might prefer someone from the establishment, uh, all things being equal, uh, the possibility that votes might split, um, you know, then there's a possibility that, uh, you know, the contest has become a lot more keen uh, than it was, you know, in June when when Mr. Tarman indicated that, that he was going to run. You know, so so it's interesting, right? Because uh, I think Mr. Tarman would rather be be the underdog. Uh, I think his biggest concern now is that. If enough voters think that you know it is a shoe in for him, right, and and decide to put their vote for someone else, you know, just to put a bit of pressure uh, on the government, right, we, you know, which is which is how some people say you, you, we should use our votes, uh, then there is, in my view, a very real possibility, you know, that in a very close race, you know, he may not cross the line first. Um, so, so I think based on on their CVs, based on how they've performed on a campaign trail, uh, based on their track records, you know, I, I, I would say Mr. Thaman is still the candidate to beat. Uh, but I don't think it is a foregone conclusion. And we still have, you know, two, three days left to go, you know, in the campaign and anything, um, you know, can happen, right? So, uh, and that is why every vote counts. Absolutely. Um, in the sister episode to this episode, uh, we had some friends come over and, and there was one part of the conversation where I said that it was, in my opinion, uh, it's very interesting to see the narrative about Mr. Angkok Song shift. Um, when he first came in, a lot of people thought that he would be splitting the votes between him and Mr. George Goh, which is when both of them will be running against Mr. Thaman. Um, at this point, I would actually argue that Mr. Ng would be splitting the votes from Mr. Thaman, actually, because uh, Mr. Tan has really positioned himself away from the two of them. What are your thoughts on this? No, I, I think that that's, that, that's a fairly good observation. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier about how, you know, Mr. Ng is caught in, in, that, in that very difficult bind, mm. right? How, how should he portray himself? Um, you know, and even if he seeks to portray himself one way, uh, voters may not, May not go along with with that particular narrative that that he he had painted of himself, um, and and so it is possible that you know if if Mr. Ng is seen as you know, I think Mr. Ng now, given the opposition politicians' endorsement of of Mr. Tan Kin Lian, you know that he certainly now his orbit is certainly closer to Mr. Tarman's. Right, and, and so that is where uh, you know you could have the possibility of vote splitting if, let's say, voters cannot differentiate much between, or there's nothing much to differentiate between Mr. Tharman and and Mr. Ng. But if voters feel that that one of them is clearly ahead of the other, right, then you may have what is called vote pooling, right? Voters deciding that okay, we better not split our votes. You know, we should then go for who we think is the stronger candidate within people within the same orbit. Uh, and, and that's where, you know, the, the, you, you may have that possibility. Um, so Mr. Ng's strategy will now have to really focus very much on, on, you know, let's forget the two political extremes, you know. I'm the person, you know, who, who will not have the baggage of, of politics and all, um, you know, and I'm the one, you know, th that can do the job without fear or favor, right? I, I can be the truly independent uh, president. Uh, now, whether that narrative will will persuade voters, you know, I think it's something which Mr. Ng will have to press very hard in what remains uh, of the campaign. But 
yes, you know, I think the the endorsement by Dr. Tan has has you know changed the equation somewhat, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if if Dr. Tan's endorsement in the end doesn't count for much. Um, you know, it, it will certainly it will certainly help Mr. Tan, you know, not to lose his election deposit again. But the general thinking, you know, that that because Dr. Tan Ching Bok, Mr. Tan Ji Se, and Mr. Tan Kin Lian, you know, collectively had about uh, 64% of the popular vote uh, in the 2011 general election, you know, that people who voted for either Dr. Tan Ching Bok or Mr. Tan Ji Se will now vote for Mr. Tan. I don't think things work so in such simplistic ways, um, you know, because there are a whole variety of considerations. Right? Dr. Tan was very much seen as being part of the establishment camp and, and, and many regarded that there was nothing that differentiated him from Dr. Tony Tan. That's why you had a splitting of the votes. Mm. Right? So one could argue that if, if we look at the establishment, you know, in the 2011 presidential election, collectively they got about 70% of the votes the popular right. vote if you add if you put both Dr. Suni Tan and Mr. Tan Ching Bok you know in the establishment camp because in 2011 we, we mustn't forget Dr. Tan wasn't yet a, an opposition figure mm. right uh, you know yes he broke away from the ruling party you know he felt that you know he can bring a different quality to the presidency uh, and so people saw him pretty much as you know part of the establishment so I think it, it remains to be seen right um, but I think it goes back to the to the point you know that Every vote matters, right? If you think about the 2011 presidential election where Dr. Tony Tan won by less than 8,000 votes, um, you know, every vote will count, right? And, and so this attempt to, by some uh, individuals to encourage voters to spoil their ballots, um, I, I'm not sure that that, that that would be a wise thing to do, right? Because I think in the end, um, you need to use your vote, right? Your one precious vote, um, you know, to decide who among the three, uh, you know, will be best for, for Singapore and the presidency. Uh, and I think to spoil it would be, you know, a wasted opportunity to, 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 to have a say. Uh, I think spoiling a vote is as good as not having a say. Mm. Nicely said. Uh, so I was at a birthday party over this weekend and uh, this was after the Political Prude episodes came out and uh, when I reached the party, everybody was like, tell me who to vote for, you know? And I'm like, guys, no, please. Um, but I think a lot of people st st out there still haven't actually decided uh, where their vote is going to go. Um, yep. My final question to wrap up this episode is really, uh, before we go to the polls, what are some of the key considerations uh, that first-time voters should have um, in placing their vote? Well, I think it makes no difference whether you're a first-time voter or whether you know you've voted, whether whether you're voting, let's say, for the third time, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a presidential election. You know, uh, for me, this will be the, the third time I'll be voting, and and I I would say that I'm I was just as excited, uh, you know, when I voted uh, in 1993, mm -hmm. um, in the first ever uh, presidential election. Um, I think ultimately it really goes down to. You know, each voter will have their own set of criteria, right? And 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 I respect you know their set of criteria, uh, the sort of weight that they may different weights that they may put to different indicators. Um, but I think among the indicators, right? You know, uh, how 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 much weight they put on it, how high a priority it is, is really up to each individual. But I think they need to consider, you know, whether someone can who is best suited to do the job. Right and, and 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 for that you know voters need to know you know that the president doesn't just only exercise custodial powers, the president also has ceremonial roles you know as well as community a, a community role, um, you know, and we mustn't forget that you know the president is also Singapore's chief diplomat right you know who represents Singapore you know in on the international stage. Um, so one, of course, you know, the, the experience, the ability, you know, the, the, the track record. Uh, I suppose, you know, it is also important, you know, for, for voters, you know, to, to appreciate, um, you know, who among the candidates, you know, would be able to 
exert, uh, you know, a soft influence on the government of the day, right? Who, which candidate would best be able to work uh, with the government of the day? This is important because we still remain a parliamentary system of government, right? The prime minister has control and directs, you know, government policies and laws. Um, so lawmaking. So it, it, it becomes crucial right? because if we have a situation where the president and the prime minister are constantly at loggerheads, um, you know, then I think our governance would become somewhat problematic. Um, you know, so it's important to, to be able to, con to consider right, which candidate you know, would command right, the trust and confidence um, you know, of the government as well. Um, and, and of course, you know, ultimately, right, you know, the, the, the important consideration of, you know, which candidate, you know, based on experience, ability and track record, you know, would be able to exercise the powers of the, the, uh, the custodial powers, you know, in an independent manner without fear or favour. Um, you know, so it, all this requires, you know, to my mind, particularly for first-time voters and even for third-time voters, um, you know, like me, I think it becomes crucial for us to know what are the what the president what the president can do and cannot do under the constitution, right? The president is not supposed to be a, a separate power center. Uh, the president doesn't initiate policies, uh, you know, doesn't make laws, um, you know. So so voters must vote for a candidate, you know, who has uh, a clear-eyed view, you know, of what. The presidency is all about. In other words, they must vote for a candidate, you know, who has a conception of office that actually does exist, right? Because if you vote for a candidate who promises things, but the president is not able to execute any of those, right? Then, after six years, you know, you will see that that nothing can be done. So, in other words, right, the the, the short point is that we need to vote for a candidate, you know, who is seeking for an office that actually does exist. Under our constitution, right, and 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 I think again, you know, I I would say, you know, that one vote from each one of us matters immensely. What a beautiful way to end the episode! Thank you so much, Eugene. That's all the time we have. Uh, definitely a lot to think about before we all go make that decision in the in the polling booth. Uh, but thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us. I really appreciate this. Um, it's been an honor to speak to you. Is you know I've been watching you on TV for a long, long time now. But uh, it's so it's so cool that I'm speaking to you in person. Right, it's a privilege to to be on Political Fruit, and and I wish you guys all, all the very best in trying to get Singaporeans, you know, to be better informed about politics and governance in Singapore. I think that's an important job. Big slay. Thanks. Thank you. And there you have it, guys, the last episode of Political Prude, the podcast before polling day. Now, big ups to Professor Eugene Chan for gracing PPTP. I'm actually quite sad, guys. I don't want to say goodbye, but really, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for sticking around with us. Um, this show was really just proudly brought to you by Zoda Pop by Zerap Media. Again, we are a new podcast community and network. So if you're an organization looking for a media house to help you launch a podcast, reach out to say hello. If you're a creator looking for a community to start this journey with, say hello. Now, if you want to check out some of the other shows we produce and also other creator-led shows within the community, just search Zoda Pop by Zerap Media on the various platforms and they should show up. Now, give us a follow and a five-star rating on Spotify if you have loved this series. And don't forget to subscribe to us and give this video a thumbs up if you're on YouTube. Until next time, guys, it's Joel signing off. This was the Zoda Pop Podcast.